Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. So, this week, we are going into darkness. Yeah, this not just week... darkness, massive and it's all about the bad guys this week, isn't it? We're going to be talking yeah. about dungeon crawls. We're going to be talking about massive darkness in games. What other game are we going to be talking about, Richard? One called Dark, Darker, Darkest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it doesn't get any lighter, basically. Yes. Yeah. We're going to be talking about... And actually, this this week, Heather's going to be joining us for those uh, discussions on games. I we're have al- such vital input. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to be talking about A Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. This time, it is the Galactic Empire in a war with the Imperium of Man from the Warhammer 40k universe. Richard's going to be talking about one of his recent reads. Yes, that is Gateway by Frederick Pohl. That's right. And Heather and I will be presenting The Bard's Corner. And this week we're going to be talking about amongst a few different albums, including Hell in the Club and Dirty Thrills. But also, at the end of this episode, tune back for... uh, Join us for a special interview with Martina Edoff, often referred to as the Nordic Queen of Rock. She's got her new album, We Will Align, coming out next month on the 22nd of September uh, through AOR Heaven so we had an interview we had a chat the bard corner has an actual bard this time (laughs) that's quite nice yeah rather than just uh, being able to talk about albums yeah that's great yeah so we'll be presenting the news as as usual and then at the end of the show we'll be including that interview with Martina so what's everybody been up to this week um I was watching Attack on Titan this week I was just telling you about that before, how freaky the Titans were. I mean, most people have probably, if they're this into anime... This is the anime, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have probably seen it, but I mean, I, I've just kind of been catching up a bit. And um, yeah, it's just, the characters are a bit over the top, but the the creepiness of the giants is just, it's weird, because they look like such <laughs> normal people, and yet they're going around being 40 feet tall and eating people and it, it just it, it just creeps me out a lot so yeah I've but the creepiest thing out. isn't it not that they need to do that for food yeah that, they that's just the like thing. the taste yeah yeah they don't get any sustenance from it they just like eating people oh. and, a- and after they've got full they just chuck them all up again oh. <laughs> it's, it is gross oh that is gross yeah so even for an anime that's pretty weird i mean i don't agree with their eating habits but i will defend to the death their right to chomp yeah, you like to defend people's right to eat what they want, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who they want. Yeah, who they want, yeah, as well. Right, um, I was just trying to stop the cat licking my beer just now. So that's what you've been doing this week? Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's a the same thing we do thing, every yeah. night, Pinky. <laughs> <laughs> yep, watching a lot of stuff. Tyrion's been going a bit crazy as well, hasn't he, today? He, yeah, he kicked a goose into a lake because it bit him on the foot. Yep. It just sounds like a football game. I did t- yeah, I did tell him off, but bear in mind he is like four. He's, he's, he's so, four. He's, a, he's big for four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a goose bit him yeah, and it provoked him by yeah. the lake and he, t- he, just, and he just sort of reflex. reflectively yeah. kicked him into the lake. He but was told off, but to be fair, he was bit. It was, yeah. it was self-defence, but the goose was fine. There was no, oh, yeah, there was was no fine, geese in, yeah. harmed in the making of, of this anecdote. He was absolutely <laughs> fine. I, I didn't really stay around long enough. I just left it. <laughs> Nature is wise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we are not. <laughs> <laughs> what you've uh, been doing, Matt? 
What have I been doing? I've been uh, catching up with this. some SG1. I've been doing uh, spending some time with the family. I've been uh, doing some writing and taking care of things for the medicine meeples. Really taking care of business. Taking care of business. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been a busy week. We've got a lot going on. Um, I've been looking at a few different Kickstarters, deciding what I want to back, and then thinking <laughs> I haven't got the money to back this. <laughs> so these are going to be Kickstarters. If you get them, that we'll be talking about like next year. Yeah. 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 Well, not all of them. I mean, some of them aren't. They're not all games related. There was one I saw on Kickstarter called the Cubio. It's like C U B double I O, and that looked absolutely amazing. But it's like a laser uh, engraver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like this little cube you get, and uh, you can uh, you upload. Uh, different designs into it on an SD card, mm. and it engraves things, and it can engrave anything really. So you you cool. can you yeah. can engrave like you can put like little laser grid patterns on your toast if you want, or you can engrave something onto a chair. You can use it with all sorts of wood and, and, what ter- you need wood a and metal. Every day, yeah. make your own We're games not, components. You can be cool. sponsored yeah. by it, which we haven't been. Uh, but mm. QBO, if you do happen to listen to this, I don't mind if you want to send me a free one because they are expensive. <laughs> um, but I was, just, think- yeah. I was thinking it could be really cool for like um, like my games chest to engrave little symbols yeah. on f- to do with the game. And also, if I don't, if I really don't like somebody, I can engrave something rude on their car door. To be honest, I just have this image in my head I wouldn't. of like yeah. Matt's name over all his things. In the house. <laughs> this is mine. This is mine. It wouldn't be my <laughs> name. It'd just be Perrin. Don't touch this. Yeah, just gonna be weird messages left all around. The house. I'm going to find us some cleaning the cupboard or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can tell you what I'm going to be doing next because I mean this is this is the Friday we're filming on, and uh, it's the day that the Defenders have been released. So I'll be off to watch that yes. pretty soon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've watched one of them so far, and I quite enjoyed it. What's been funny as well? Um, it's it's been. Good. Um, I was saying to you earlier, I wasn't didn't know what happened with Game of Thrones this week. The oh, fact that HBO an Nordic got released and too H- early. <laughs> HBO and, it, about and what it wasn't actually happened. I was like spoilers. <laughs> Quick, blow it off before everybody else sees it. <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, there's no spoilers here. Um, but in for HBO Spain and HBO Nordic, they had this incident where for some reason somebody uploaded uh, the upcoming episode <laughs> onto pay per view. Some reason. <laughs> well, who knows why they did it. Um, it certainly wasn't to create, you know, a media frenzy. But they uploaded uh, this com- week's coming episode onto those channels. So then people have seen it, and people ripped it and put it on torrent sites. And it's been really funny watching all the different news outlets and things make all of a sudden make loads of predictions about nah. the next episode. It's suddenly so insightful. Yeah, suddenly yeah. so insightful about what, what might happen, and completely pretending that they haven't watched it. I hope it turns out to be a fake episode. That you're <laughs> yeah. dead, just throw everybody off. <laughs> so yeah, but there we go. So with no further ado, and with even less bang, let's get on with the show. So now we're going to be talking about our first dark game of the week, Massive Darkness. From, that is a very inventive name. From Cool <laughs> Mini or Not Games. Now this was a Kickstarter that's recently been delivered in the UK, and we got to playing it pretty quickly because this is one that I've been waiting for for a long time. Now, Massive Darkness is very similar in its engine and the way it's designed to Zombicide. If you've played the Zombicide games, particularly uh, I played Black Black Plague, uh, and what I mean by that is you get one of these types of boards, which for our podcast listeners will be a picture of on our um, 
Instagram page. It's a tray, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, it's basically a little tray. And what you do, you get little pegs that you can put in that tray, and it you just mark your position on with those pegs to show what your current health is, and for example. And you your cards on it. Yep, yeah, uh, this pegs for your micro XP, which you use in story and campaign mode, uh, and for your normal XP, which you use in normal scenarios. You've got a space to put your uh, character card, and you've also got spaces to put your equipment cards and mm. your armor, and it's just a really nice way of keeping all yeah. your proper, things properly yeah. organized. Little character sheet. I, yeah. I prefer it to you know a lot of games you you get your own like it's a piece of paper or a card yeah. and you put cubes on it or different things. Yeah. And you kind of spend a lot of the game where it's not your turn making everything line up. Yeah. And look neat. Yeah. Making everything um, look neat. Yeah. It's a lot easier so to keep not, it neat, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And keep track of things quickly. You can lift it up for when you're having drinks and stuff. As well that's as important. that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. important. <laughs> as well as that, you've also got um, your skill sheet, which you get a pad off for each different uh, class, and you get to write your name, which hero you were playing with. Because the way the game works is you get a character. So, for example, I chose Whisper. Now, Whisper was the, um, the assassin. And you get a shadow skill because the board is divided into lit zones and shadow zones. And certain skills are only able to be used or only give you a particular benefit when you're in the shadow zone, which is really cool. But she's got a shadow skill. Uh, she's got a special skill, which in this case gives her an extra uh, movement point. But it will assign a recommended class that you use with that hero, but you don't have to use that. So you can mix and match for different combinations. But I decided to go with the Blood Moon Night Runner, which is the assassin. And as I say, on the skill sheet that comes for that class, you've got five different levels. And as you spend experience points to unlock certain skills, then you get to use those skills when you're in, when the game is on certain levels. Now, just to explain what that means, um, each area of the board, has a level from one through five and in level one you can use level one skills in level two you can use level two skills etc so when we're doing this as a campaign and we've got like level three skills we'll still won't be able to use them at the beginning of each quest Is actually that no that's um a, a common misconception what happens is is that when you are, are playing this as a campaign you, you don't start based on the normal level 1 zone. That doesn't say it's normal current level. Oh, so you, you still start, at, start at that point, but the game itself, the level of the game, will start at the level oh, 3. Oh, no. I thought we'd have an easy ride. No. Of course it's, not. Essentially, <laughs> the game level will always be the level of the highest hero. So if one of your gang oh. suddenly gets like a level 5 skill and then everyone else is on level 1s, it's going to be set at level 5 for everybody. So don't be that guy. We're all looking at you, Matt. I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, this this game's quite straightforward, isn't it, Richard? I mean, tell us about a typical phase. Okay, so what happens is... Let me just have this sheet here. Now, what we do is um, we have our hero phase, first of all, where the first character who's got the first character token yeah will kind of have their go they get to spend their three action points mm -hmm. in whatever way they want they can use it they could use all of them for movement they could basically run across the whole board if yeah. they wanted to um and they can pick up treasure things like that or you can make an attack but once you've used those three then it goes on to like an enemy reaction phase 
Only if you've attacked an enemy. Yeah, this is what I'm on about. Mm. So anyone that you've any enemy that you've attacked will try and attack you back, and it won't be anybody else. It will mm. only be you, provided they survive the attack. Yeah. So if you, basically, if there's an orc there, yeah. and you don't attack it unless you think you can kill it, because <laughs> don't don't start something you can't finish. Basically, yeah, because he is going to turn around and he's going to be quite annoyed that you've just hacked at him ineffectively with a sword <laughs> um, yeah and will turn around and kill you and so that will happen but yeah like we were saying if you've killed it or if you didn't attack one that time then you don't have to worry you just go on to the next hero now once all the heroes have done their moves then it goes on to a proper enemy's um, enemy's move so they will get to actually attack whoever's the logically best one for them to attack mm. and it normally goes by XP if um, like how much experience the heroes have got unless there's somebody that's in the same space as them in which case they'll attack that person and we did end up getting pretty swarmed didn't yeah. we yeah. Um, quite quickly and that was fun um, we did end up dying eventually but we um yeah we did lose the first game but we got quite a long way though didn't we, we... yeah i was surprised at how many we actually managed to defeat it didn't feel overwhelming no there's some, no, sometimes yeah. you, you're trying to beat some monsters and you, you're genuinely thinking oh, let's just die yeah we weren't getting bulldozed, <laughs> we're not gonna um... we're not gonna do this but um it, it was fun it was a lot of fun yeah I mean, there's, it's quite interesting because I say you get your phase and then they get to react. Then they get their phase, but then as after that you've got uh, the events, haven't you? you can... Yeah, so you draw an event card and that might be a monster spawning, but oh, it might God, be quite far know. away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that that was quite fun, I thought, because like we were getting attacked by certain monsters. It was like goblin archers mm. or something, wasn't yeah. it? But then like this massive orc no, not orc thing. This it looked like a Balrog. I think it was this guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, he appeared like halfway down the corridor, and he wasn't going to attack us then because he couldn't get to us in time. But we just knew that that was in store for us. <laughs> <laughs> also, we had this like Medusa type yeah. mermaid creature moving oh, around the board that was carrying eight blades as well, and that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we with with the event phase, you draw an event card, and it might tell you to. Uh, draw a less a lesser or greater roaming monster that's going to be moving around the board. It might tell you to draw a guard unit that's going to be moving around the board. Um, but generally, the way apart from that, the way that enemies would appear on the board is that you'll have doors that lead into different rooms, different chambers. And that's as you fun. open a door, mm. you you draw a door card, and it'll tell you wh- which sections of that room to put treasure in, which ones to put a guard in. It might be an ambush that appears where you're already standing. Um, or there might be guards in the room and when you draw a guard card you'll draw a card based on the level that you're at in the game Game so you've got not you yeah so you've got um, levels one through five for the guards and when you draw a guard you'll also draw a treasure card now treasure cards you might draw you what you draw when you take the little treasure tokens off the board but you can also draw one for the villains because basically that's giving the leader of that particular mob because there's uh, always going to be an enemy. Sometimes it'll be a mob of goblin archers, but they'll have a boss, which is referred to as a guardian. And other agents that appear, in, enemy agents that appear are also referred to as guardians. And when they are appear, they get a treasure, which can be a weapon, and then they can add that weapon's dice or effects to their own attack 
provided it's and it's an attack that they can use yeah, and that will all make yeah. very make a lot of sense because if you've got a melee mob and you draw a melee weapon that the leader gets that and he can use it and he can make melee attacks so it's very straightforward but the good thing about that is when you defeat that mob and you have to take out all the lower minions before you defeat the boss of that mob when you defeat that boss you get his treasure yeah, so you can cool. get some pretty yeah. cool weapons there and sometimes from like higher level um treasure cards as well because if it says you know spawn a boss in level three and you're still on level one then you get a higher level treasure to collect yeah after so you've really cool. its knees which yeah is... <laughs> but it, it is a nice incentive to be mm. able to defeat it yeah. and i think it's quite immersive as well yeah because like in our rpgs if you like playing them on the computer or something like that you defeat a boss and you you might be able to pick up some of its treasure and it's just nice that you get a random card and that boss actually uses it yeah. against you mm. and then you get to have it and it's that's pretty it's cool it's not just a congratulations you yeah. survived <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah your <laughs> you life is your reward it. <laughs> it's it is a nice way of way of yeah. doing it um there are some things that you have to be aware of and that's making sure that when you're rolling your dice against the enemy for example that you are taking attacks against the mob as a whole so if you roll three hits you get to distribute those amongst the mob provided they don't negate those with shields things like that <laughs> so bear that in mind another thing to bear in mind is that when you're choosing your or creating your character as I say we take your character and then you put a class with it but you get to choose some starting equipment from a deck of cards now you'll choose a weapon some leather armor what you've got to think about is whether you're going for a ranged attack a magic attack or a melee attack. Why is that, Matt? Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this happened to me, but, you know, <laughs> hypothetically, yeah. you might choose, you know, Whisper, the Blood the blood Moon uh, Night Runner, the assassin. You might think, I'm going to give my assassin a short bow and stay in the shadows and shoot things, just because you normally play a dwarf who charges headlong into enemies and you fancy a little bit of a difference. Mm -hmm. And what you might find is that then you walk up to a door and open it and you get ambushed by a bunch of guards suddenly appearing in your zone and you have no way of fighting them because yeah. you can't use a well certain range weapons will state on them that they can also be used at range zero which is yeah. your own tile but other than that all of the range weapons have to be in tiles that you're not on yeah and so when, we when matt, yeah so when matt opened this door we were, we were thinking oh no there might be some monsters behind this but he's got his bow and arrow you can just fire it through the door yeah. matt opened the door and then creatures just came out from behind him. <laughs> and they attacked you for like two turns before you managed to <laughs> yeah. fight back. And the way I was eventually able to fight back is because they appeared there. But then inside that chamber, there were a load of other uh, guards that were spawned in there. And yeah, it was when they got to the too. tile in front of me, the other side of the yeah. door, I was able to shoot them with the bow, take out the leader. Mm. And then got from that gained a melee weapon, which I could use to fight because the problem is is if you're in the zone with enemies and you haven't got a melee attack unless you've unlocked a particular skill like the slippery skill or unless you've got uh, an ability like the wizard has which is a teleport skill yeah, you can't leave there. that tile <laughs> while there are still enemies on that tile so you can easily get boned <laughs> not sore about that at all. Are you? Not sore at all. It's it, was a, of... it was a weird point in the game that was. <laughs> I do think it is. He survived. What are you complaining about? <laughs> you know, he any, came to the rescue. Any any ambush that you walk away from is a good ambush. But I do think it's an oversight in the game design. Um, and yes, I am blaming the game. Um, <laughs> but th my reason for that being is that 
if you've got somebody who is an incredibly skilled assassin, they're going to have some competence at hand-to-hand scale. They're not going to rely totally incredibly, on range. Yeah, incredibly yeah, skilled. Too powerful, you were on level one. Yes. <laughs> you weren't incredibly skilled yet. And like you say, later on in the game, you would have been able to get out of that. Just, that's just right. let it go. Just let it go. I'm, I'm not sore. I'm not sore. But that, yeah. <laughs> that's the... That, I do think, you know, I was carrying a... Yeah. I was carrying a bow and arrow. I should have been able to at least hit one of the, one of the goblins with my bow. We saved you. You were. You were flailing around. <laughs> And then we came and rescued you. It's, it's fine. Uh, but th- this is why I usually choose the dwarf. But there we are. Never mind. I went for the assassin. Yeah, Heather was a dwarf. Yeah. That was cool. The dwarf but did rock. Look, mm. cool. there are yeah. some pretty cool miniatures in this game. We'll say miniatures. Um, some of them are massive. That's not, that's <laughs> some of them are several times the size of the uh, the actual hero figures. Mm. Um, I actually thought that a lot of these are very well detailed. I mean, I expect that from a cool mini art game anyway. But some of these are just absolutely fantastic. And we've got... We didn't play with many of the Kickstarter ex- accessories. The only ones we used was the like the chests. We used the proper chests, the little... They were great. And um, there is loads of treasure oh, in this yeah. game. Yeah. And the doors. The doors. Door, we used proper doors, doors instead of door tokens. So yeah. we've got little doors that actually you could open up and stuff. And that was pretty cool. Mm. But we have got a ton of different... Um, miniatures that will come and this actually this giant ogre that's thing that's standing here is from one of the uh you know one of the lightbringer pledge um kickstarter exclusives but there are a ton of different enemy boxes that you can get uh, like rag rattlings troglodytes tons of different things that you can get to add to this so we could really be playing this probably for a year without facing without having to think about adding any more to it because we did get the, the all in Kickstarter pledge, but there is so much variety I think with this game because of the amount of different enemies that we're going to face Definitely. and the different skills and bonuses that they've got. So I'm really looking forward to getting into a, a campaign now. We we did the tutorial, we did the first quest, but I'm really looking forward to going back and you know maybe redoing the first quest because we didn't <laughs> we didn't complete it the first time and I'm kind of have to. You're not taking my dwarf it. off me. No, no, I'm I'm <laughs> staying as Whisper. I oh, like yeah. I like I like my little assassin. And I'm this Gandalf type guy. He's got the staff and the sword. He's cool. He is really cool. Yeah. I have to admit, one of the reasons I wanted this when I first saw it was I thought that that miniature, Elias, the character's name is, mm. he just looks like Gandalf. So Yeah, they're not even tried to hide the fact <laughs> yeah. that that's Gandalf. As games go, I mean, compare this to other di- uh, dungeon crawlers, I would say it's much... I actually think it's much more immersive than, say, the zombie side games. Um... Comparing it to something like Descent? Yeah, I'm not really sure how I... Yeah, Descent, I really love the phase between the quests Mm. where you're kind Mm. of shopping at the village and stuff. That seems really cool. But we haven't haven't really done that, but you do get that in this game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We haven't done that yet, so I don't know how how immersive it will feel in the long run. Because that's the most important thing to me about these games. But so far... And just looking at all the minis and everything, I think it is going to be pretty mm. epic. It's just, I, I like the Descent app. Mm. And I was a bit worried yeah. about going from a game that's got an app to one that hasn't. But it has felt very kind of organic the way it's worked. Because um, they run, like in the app, but they're not controlled by the app, but they are controlled by the game. So it's still cooperative and it's they're following yeah. like a predictable path a lot of the time. And the they, fact yeah. that you draw a card and then mm. see what the monster is. 
yeah. that feels very similar to just something popping up on the app. Yeah. Uh, so there's not that much work in controlling what the enemies do. So yeah. you do still feel like it's just us against the game. So, yeah. so this one, I'm highly recommending this one myself. This is Massive Darkness by Cool Mini Not Games. For the darkness is massive and full of terrors. Tell us what you think in the comment section below. Don't forget to subscribe. Lock your doors, bar your windows, and get a spare change of pants at the ready. It's time for something scary now. So on this episode of the Quest Report, we're going to be talking about Dark Darker Darkest from Queen Games. Yes. This is one that I got from the expo, and it was actually... Um, second hand and actually managed to get the Kickstarter edition and so somebody has obviously backed it on Kickstarter and you're looking very nervous there Richard are you worried about these creeping up. zombies yeah well we're talking about zombies and there's just something moving, back <laughs> here. It's just moving. And it's, yeah it's getting a little bit I'm getting a little bit worried here but anyway <laughs> that's okay while they're eating you I'm gonna be out that door <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we've got a few extra components with it being the Kickstarter edition and the the name dark darker darkest refers to the three difficulty levels that there are in this game we played it on dark difficulty mm. and it killed us slowly slowly yeah well we didn't do too bad so yeah it is actually a cooperative game and it was similar to it was a nice change i thought just for a while from uh, mansions of madness just because it was yeah. a little bit diff different but um the scenario is that there's been a zombie apocalypse and we, the characters, have come upon this um, come to this house where this professor lives. And he had something to do with the with it happening to begin with. So you build the house using these tiles, and when you enter the house you start exploring it and most of the game is to do with trying to search rooms mm. without making enough enough noise that these zombies will come and get you. Because the they are attracted to noise. Yeah, the zombies spawn pretty much every round and they can be in quite large groups, can't they? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there were six turning up at once. It's not fair. Yeah, so yeah, when you are searching you will kind of find equipment and that can help you um, not only in your actual struggle against the zombies but it also helps you with the main objective which is to get into the main laboratory of the house once you have collected certain types of equipment each one will have a little symbol on it and depending on what you have you can open other locks mm. in the house and once you have enough of these code chips yeah. you can put them on these circles in a way that will kind of match the tokens you've already put up here and it will open the door for our podcast listeners we'll we'll put a picture of that onto our instagram page so you can see what we mean it's the board with the uh seven little circles at the top and three large circles at the bottom and it's the seven little ones at the top that you've got to obtain isn't it and it's the three larger ones where you put your tokens on to show what you've collected to unlock those yeah so you can collect as many of these little tokens as you need there will be a specific combination of three that would unlock mm. the door but that's not to say that other combinations won't work yeah so you don't need to go absolutely everywhere in the house and find them all now there are zombies obviously in this game um with having the kickstarter uh, there are a few expansions with it that we mm. have 
So there are a few other types of enemies, which are basically monsters that are a bit harder to defeat. A lot of them are the Professor's family, yeah. <laughs> which have turned into more severe versions. The Professor's of... daughter's one of them, isn't she? Yeah, and the Professor himself, mm. uh, Professor Mortimer, I think it is. And also there is a, a zombie dog, which is pretty scary. And that one, it takes quite a lot to kill it. Um, basically, it has a few different uh, body parts that you shoot to try and kill it. Um, the other thing, apart from zombies, that is a threat in this game is also fire. Yeah. And now we're used to fire in Mansions of Madness, but that is kind of a sometimes thing mm. in Mansions, isn't it? With this, it seems to be happening all the time. There's always more yeah. fire going. It was unfortunate that it started quite early when we played mm. it. It doesn't it's necessarily determined by start a dice there. roll, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's like a hazard dice, isn't there? That's got all these different terrifying symbols on it. Like, like a, a skull or directional pattern. Yeah, there's like a fire. bird thing that was a the creature. If we'd rolled yeah. that, then one of the bad badges would come out. That didn't actually happen, but we did roll the fire quite early on. Now, if that hadn't happened, once we'd got about halfway through the game, because there's a, a darkness track that tracks the game, and there's, there's, it goes up to uh, level 5. Once it gets to level three, 3, if there's not a fire, then a fire will break out. Yeah. So... I mean, we could have only spent half the game without one anyway. Now, the character that I chose was the fireman anyway. So he did have a few skills that helped to put out the fire. It was a lot easier for him to be able to put out fire. Mm. Um, My character yeah. was like the mafia gangster, wasn't he? Uh, yes, he Jack. was. He had the handgun and he had like some skills to do yeah, with that. Yeah, I had a, a free attack that you started off with and then as I, I was... Uh, go, which I don't have to spend an action point because most of the things that you do in the game you're going to be spending an action point on so you have your little player board you have little cubes and you just move them across to show that you've spent a cube to do an action now one of those actions might be to move from one tile to another tile it might be that you spend those actions to do a search of your own tile which you do by uh, rolling a couple of dice and seeing what the results you get you uh, can spend those action points to put out a fire, you can spend them to attack zombies. Hmm. Now, when you spend them to make an attack of zombies, you roll however many dice you get for that particular attack. So if it's a handgun, it'll tell you how many dice to roll, etc. Um, and then you just remove however, however many successes you get on that dice roll, that's how many zombies you attack. So it's not just yes. one attack on one zombie, it can be multiple zombies. And yeah, so they appear in groups, but you attack them in groups yeah. as well. So, so yeah. and when I upgraded some of my character's skills, because you get some uh, little skills that you can buy at the bottom through experience points, and experience points are typically um, obtained by taking out zombies, I then spent those on things to improve my character's aim or to give me an extra dice to roll, and yeah. that also meant I could then do better against the zombies. So that was that was nice. Yes, yeah, so you have these boards that are like the character sheets, don't you? And yeah. what you were just talking about, you kind of keep track on it on there. And I like I like that aspect of it. It, felt it shows a bit your more health and everything like. as well, doesn't it? When you're yeah, on there. yeah, you have these little cubes that you send across. So um, yeah, we've got quite. You had quite a lot of health, didn't we? Mm. So we didn't actually lose on health. No. Uh, we lost on time, basically, didn't we? So, we ran out of time. Yeah. So it seems like it is a very hard game. Mm. and But I quite like that because I feel like we could play it another time on the same difficulty level and just try and do it this time. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, I, for me, when we played it, mm. I felt like 
it was a quite a fun dice chucker. Mm. Um, I do think there are probably better dice chuckers out there. Yeah. Um, but I do generally like zombie games, and it was what was quite spooky about this as well. When we were playing this, the power went out in the house. Yeah, that did help, actually. <laughs> that yeah. really helped set a bit of a, a mood for it, so that was pretty cool. I mean, what wasn't so cool was that the power had gone out because my, one of my kids had flooded the bathroom and there was water pouring through the kitchen ceiling. That was not so cool. But that was a problem for after the game. That was, yeah. <laughs> we still managed to finish the game, albeit um, in a lot of darkness. But yeah. it was... A, quite a good ambience and I thought it was a very simple game to play so I can in the imagine end it was yeah once we'd got past learning the rules yeah I think once you uh, if, if, if a player knows how to play this they can teach this game very very quickly hmm. and I think this would be an excellent one if you had like uh, nephews or something like that I can imagine if I'd got this game when I uh, got to play this game when I was 15 I would have been absolutely raving about it. It would have been the best thing in the world. Actually, thinking about it, yeah. It yeah. would seem so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I loved it because my character was just basically wandering around taking out tons of zombies for yeah, most of the Yeah, you were definitely the fighter out of the group. And you were getting to places that maybe we couldn't because you could get through the fire. Yeah, I could walk through the fire <laughs> because I had skills in dealing with fire. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I definitely enjoyed this. Uh, I would happily play this again, but I'm, I do think that it'll be interesting to see what happens at more the higher difficulty levels. And also adding a few of the things that we have in the, uh, Expansion. the, uh, the expansions, that's it. Because we never got to see what the creature did. No, the creature didn't really come out in our game. But, um, yeah, I, I felt I was having to concentrate quite a lot because I was the one that had kind of read the rules and was trying to teach it. I mean, you said it was quite easy to teach, but I think it is now, now that I've done it. Mm. But, yeah. The first I suppose time, anything when you're first looking at a rule book and thinking, OK, I've got to learn this, I've got to teach this, it's always going to seem more complicated than it probably is. But that's because yeah, yeah, a that's lot it. of the time with games, I mean, for me personally, I can read a rule book, but it's when I've got all the components in front of me that I really sort of get to understand it and get to grips with it. Yeah, that's when you get to actually know what you're doing, really. Um, one thing about it is I really like the components, but I think some of them are a bit overly big. Like, yeah. there's this sheet that is the uh, action... The, well, the, I can't remember the action tile, something like that. It tracks basically what's happening in the game. Activity and, board. Because when your player does something, then the zombies get to react after they finish their turn so this yeah. helps track that tracks what stage of the round we're on which round we're on all those sorts of things yeah it just seems like most of the table was taking up with these various things like the the code one our character sheets and well, even our character and... sheets they were good but they could easily have been smaller couldn't they yes yeah so um but i do like all the kind of artwork on them they do seem like uh, they are very in keeping with the theme, mm. I think, and it is nice to have things like that. This, rather than just having to kind of remember what's happening, or there being something on the the main board that you see um, to kind of keep keep track mm. of things. Like it's all in one place, and it makes it all quite easy to follow. So that was pretty good. But yeah, um, I had some of these. Some of these extra things within the Kickstarter, like some nicer dice for the enemy's dice. Got these like marbly, oh yeah, those see-through dice. Which those were really, were really nice. nice. I love the I love the marbled effect on dice. Yeah, or frost and, and frosted uh, effect on, not yeah. in this game, but in general. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so um, there was that. Also in the in the expansions, there are some different minis. Mm. So 
I mean, the minis are quite simple and quite small, um, but in the expansions there are some that are red and there are also some that are kind of see-through mm. and they look pretty cool and these are for like different types of enemies and I'd just be interested to see kind of what the different scenarios play like. One thing that I was a little bit disappointed with about this game is that it's always the same scenario. Yeah. So I feel like if we had completed it that time we wouldn't so much feel like having another go. Whereas um, you know, other games like uh, like in Mansions, we can always mm. try a different scenario. Whereas this is always going to be us going into the professor's house to try and find the cure mm. to the the zombie virus. We're just going to tweak the difficulty, add more monsters. Yeah. There is an expansion that has helipads on yeah. it as well. That seems pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it would be the same story. But like you were saying, like for for if young people were playing it, I think they'd find it pretty amazing. I did enjoy this game. And I think it would be interesting to play it again because I just love playing cooperative games. Mm. I think we work quite well together as a team. I think I did like it, mm. um, but and again, when we played it, I was kind of a bit more tired than usual. Um, so mm. I struggled to understand the rules a little bit. Um, so I do want to play it again. I think it's something that, um, that I'd like to kind of get into a little bit more. A bit like mansions when we first started mansions i struggled mm. a little bit mm. to understand what i was doing on what turn um but kind of really got into that in the end so i would like to play it again yeah okay another power cut yeah and i like the dice the dice are pretty <laughs> the, dice are, <laughs> the dice are very nice in this I game think we're going to paint the minis at some point as well aren't we well we're going to paint all the minis in the world at some point yeah. so yeah <laughs> so there we are that's our thoughts on dark dark darkest we all we all want to try it again we all want to play it again we've all a little bit unsure about the long-term replayability of the game because it's, as we're saying, it's the one scenario. But we're going to give it a try. And nothing lasts forever, so. <laughs> the Meddlesome Meeples present music news and reviews. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Bard's Corner. Okay, so to start us off, we're going to mention a bit of tour information for the UK. Now, this is with regards to Jethro Tull. It's their 50th anniversary in in 2018 been around a long time oh i was gonna go they're old but i thought i'll be nice <laughs> yeah so for their 50th, 50th anniversary they've announced that they're going to be doing eight gigs at it stands out at present they're going to be doing a tour in uh, in the uk in april now yep. uh, those dates range between the 3rd of april to the 17th of april uh, so if you want to find out more about that then be sure to check out their website or uh, check back with paradiserock.co.uk on to other album news now. Now, first off, Emmy Award winner and legendary AOR singer Stan Bush is releasing his 13th studio album this September. Mm -hmm. That's Change the World. It's going to be out on the 22nd of September. Um, and that's going to be out through Alley Records, Cargo Records, combined release. Cool. So be sure to check that one out. We'll hopefully be bringing you a review of that one in due course. Heather, you can't. Sorry, you might not be able to see right funny. now, but Heather's uh, smiling because apparently the way I wrote Stan Bush has a new album out on our notes looks like Satan has a new album. Out. <laughs> no, it says. <laughs> also, she's quite amused by the uh, the title of the next album, which we'll come to now. I'm so, sorry. Autograph. I'm, I'm juvenile today. Again, another very uh, well-known, reputable band, Autograph, Hard Rockers. They've signed with the EMP label group. 
Yeah. Uh, that means they're bringing out their new album on October the 6th. That's going to be uh, also released as a limited edition vinyl in cool. November. That album is entitled Get Off Your Ass. <laughs> and yes, it's had Heather cracking up. Well, no, it's just that on your notes, I didn't see the get off bit. So it just says your ass will be out October the 6th. My ass is out all year round, not just on October. No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay, let's let's move forward. Uh, Italian synth metalers Secret Rule. Now they're signed with Pride and Joy Records. They're going to be releasing their album The Key to the World on November the 10th, and they're also going to be playing in the UK in March. Now they are a female-fronted symphonic metal band. Cool. Uh, this is their third album. Their previous album Machinations was very well received so we're looking obviously we're going to be looking forward to hearing more about that in due course yep finally on that this section of the bar's corner every mother's nightmare are back with a new album called grind that's Ah. going to be out on oh there's just been attacked by a dragon (laughs) don't headbutt a dragon (laughs) (laughs) but too much sugar (laughs) every mother's nightmare are releasing grind that's going to be out on october the 6th that's going to be via High Vault Music. Yep. Um, I've got one of their previous albums, actually. Um, I say it up, rings a bell. Waking Up Screaming. Yeah, it, uh, I quite liked it at first because the, the vocalist kind of reminded me of like a little Alice Cooper. Ah, I think um, I remember you saying a little yeah. Alice, Alice Cooper's really little anyway. <laughs> well, oh yeah, I know what I meant. It was not in appearance, but the vocals just had a bit of a Alice Cooper yeah. sound going on. So yeah, that's one to, to check out. So on to the album reviews. Now, two albums to talk about this week. The first one is Hal in the Club and their album See You on the Dark Side. Now that's out on the 15th of September through Frontiers Music SRL. This is their fourth album. It's not what I expected when I listened to it because uh, I knew two of the members of the band, uh, Dave, also known as Damner, from Elven King. Alvin King are a very, very famous uh, folk metal band, power metal him? band. Well, I know of him. Oh, I, oh, him I thought I was like, oh, I'm sure. We're well, not no. drinking. We're not drinking buddies, but I know <laughs> no, who that's he is. Other people. You know, and no, I know, no. I know his career. I was like, you kept that one quiet for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so Alvin King are a band that I actually quite like. But then, if, if you've seen our previous episode of the Bars Corner, you'll know I like folk metal when it's not just a screamy. Uh, growly sound to it, but the actual music of folk metal apps would be Get enough of that at home. Yeah, there's plenty of screwing and shatter in the home <laughs> environment. So, Dave, as we say from Elven King, is the vocalist for Hal in the Club. Also on bass is Andrea Barato, who is the bassist for Italian uh, prog, well, prog metal band, yeah. uh, Secret Sphere. Uh, so I was expecting this to be quite a heavy album. But it's not heavy. It's uh, hard rock, melodic rock. Uh, I would probably describe this as melodic rock on steroids. It's very fast, <laughs> um, very powerful. There's some really good rhythms on this this album. Um, my favourite song on here is a song called A Melody, A Memory. Very catchy, but all through the album it, it's, it's filled with catchy songs with great hooks. Um, there's one song in there in particular as well, Houston, We've Got No Money. It's got a really good rhythm to it. really good names to stuff this week. Yeah, well... Either that or I'm just really easily amused today. (laughs) The first single from the album's called We're On Fire. That's, again, that's a very catchy, upbeat, Mm. up-tempo song. Um, 
as regards this album, I'd say if you like Motley Crue, if you like uh, Nasty Idols, if you like Def Leppard, um, if you like Crazy Licks, then this is definitely an album that you're going to want to check out. Uh, there is quite a lot of really good songs on there. I mean, I also really like The Misfit, Crowded Room, mm. Phantom Punch. This is an album that I could definitely see myself going back to and listening to again and again. It's a very solid 8 out of 10. Cool. For me. Now, the second album we want to talk about is Dirty Thrills, Heavy Living. Now, this is one I've been listening... This is probably the last album I actually listened to. It, um, it's a good album. It's kind of like classic rock, but with a modern sound to it. But more on the classic rock side. Yeah. It's very much in that vein. Um, I would say if you like Bad Company, if you like Inglorious, uh, if you like Rival Sons, if you like Led Zeppelin... Uh, if you like Queens of the Stone Age, this is going to be an album you want to check out. There, There's a couple of highlights on there, I thought, for myself. There's No Resolve, The Brave, uh, Drunk Words and I'll Be With You, all good songs. I have to admit, this isn't uh, an album that I can imagine myself getting out regularly, but it is an album I would yeah. listen to again. It's As I say, it's got a, it's classic rock with a modern edge, but there's also quite a strong bluesy element to it. Mm. It's got quite a strong southern rock feel to it it's at just times. Per- personal preference isn't it it's, it's not personal really preference it's thing. not it's not the kind yeah. of album that i could see myself getting out and putting on on a regular basis but i did enjoy the album yeah and there are songs on the album that i would want to listen to again down the line um and i would say if you like uh, to listen to classic rock which i do i do like classic rock i just it's not something i I tend to listen to mm. as much as I do other genres. You've kind of changed over time, because you used to be a little bit like that when I first met you. You liked a lot of the more classic stuff. Well, I've always listened to classic rock. You've got rock. more folk scene um, in your old age. I've, well, I've, my interest in folk, <laughs> folk metal's grown. Um, I was always a, a big fan of melodic rock, AOR and power metal, symphonic mm. metal. But um, I also listened to probably more to more classic rock when I was younger than I do yeah. now. But I still like classic rock. It's just there's only so many albums you can listen to in a day, you know. So this is an album that I would recommend definitely if you like any of those bands we've talked about. If you like classic rock, um, it is a good album. I'm giving this one a seven out of ten. Yay! It's a very solid. There isn't when you're listening to it. There's not a bad track on there. Yeah. Um, just nothing really stands out. Interesting. Yeah. Interestingly, the lead singer of this, his father used to be the lead singer of the moody blues <laughs> so as i say you can draw, draw from that what you will i wouldn't say that necessarily reflects on the album itself but who doesn't like a little yeah, bit of trivia yeah i was gonna say a bit of trivia now as well as this um we also last when was it last week i sat down with martina edoff yes uh, to talk about her upcoming album we will align which is going to be out on the 22nd of september um this that album as we've said before in our last episode is a fantastic album so be sure to check out that interview and uh, it'll be at the end of the episode 14 of the medicine meeples it'll also be released on thursday the 24th of mm. august um through the bard's corner music news on its own so be a couple of ways you can check that interview out be sure to have a listen to that let us know what you think mm. Tiny Meeples Big Talk Hello and welcome to this episode of Tiny Meeples Big Talk So today uh, we did discuss pre- in a previous episode how we thought a battle between a normal Imperial Star Destroyer from Star Wars and 
the USS Enterprise from Star Trek would go. Yeah, we were a bit strict with ourselves then. We made, yeah. it limited it just to the ship versus the ship. Yeah. But we're tired of being so restrained. Yeah, today it's unrelenting chaos. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? <laughs> Some people will. Some people will. I don't get it. Okay. <laughs> so today our topic is rather than a single ship-on-ship action, which actually sounds a bit wrong when I say it like that, a single ship-to-ship combat... We're going to instead discuss what would happen if the Galactic Empire from Star Wars, so the Stormtroopers, the, all of the uh, Imperial fleet, Darth Vader and the Emperor himself, were to uh, begin a war with the Imperium of Man. Now, for those unfamiliar with the Imperium of Man, that is the human empire from Warhammer 40k. Yes. Uh, and we're going to look at this in a few different aspects, really, that's going to come to light, I think. First yes. off, uh, we're going to be looking at the what would happen with space battles. We're going to look at the infantry battles, uh, a war of attrition. And also, I think it's very important that we discuss um, the effect of the Sith and Darth Vader, Darth Sidious... And the God Emperor of Mankind. You didn't specify all this when you said that we're going to be talking about it. It's just like the Empire versus the Imperium. <laughs> That's the way you put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now we have these four categories we need to do. But we'll, uh, what, we won't talk about them necessarily category by category. But we'll just those are the things. Some of the things that uh, you know is going to come up in this discussion. So basically, it's one galaxy versus another galaxy. Yes, in all-out war. <laughs> now, I suppose a lot of people are going to be familiar with uh, the Galactic Empire from Star Wars so I don't think we need to explain too much about that but I think perhaps a lot of people won't be familiar enough with the 40k universe so just to give you a little bit of uh, information about that the Imperium of Man consists of you know many uh, huge uh, populations there are trillions and trillions of people in the Empire huge numbers of worlds it spans an enormous vast distance and the entire uh, empire is in a constant state of decay and warfare against non-human races like the, the Tyranids. Em- the emperor yeah. is in a state of decay. The emperor himself is in a state I of decay. I think that's really cool. And he has been is seen as an omnipotent or powerful being. Um, he is an incredible, incredibly powerful psychic, isn't he? Yes. He has been on the golden throne for... Millennia. I was just checking some of the stuff that I'd looked up before, but yeah, he was kind of um, like all these priests back on Earth had like decided they were going to create this being, hadn't mm. they? So they all kind of took poison at the same time and then got all the thousands of them got reincarnated as one guy yeah. who had such power that he could make himself immortal. And uh, yeah, he became the emperor of this empire of mankind. So that's the kind of stuff they're dealing with there. And just in case you haven't picked up on this yet, we are really going to... This is really a a battle of the bad guys versus the bad guys. You know, the Empire, everyone knows, is evil, cruel dictatorship. The Imperium of Man, you know, in some ways, they're worse. I mean, we talk about the the Galactic Empire blowing up Alderaan. Well, the the Empire do far greater deeds. Mm. So, first of all, Let's talk about the ship-to-ship combat. 
Richard, what are your thoughts on that? Have you thought, given any thought to that? Yes, um, I was looking up quite a lot about the Imperial Navy, no, not Imperial, the Imperium Navy, mm-hmm. and their ships looked massive. Like the biggest ones <laughs> seemed to be like five kilometers mm. long, and there seemed to be a lot of them as well. I was just trying to look up the word again, but the um, Empire seemed to be divided up, the Imperial Navy seemed to be divided up into these five different sections. Each one had like like an admiral over it. And um, yeah, it seemed like there would be a lot of very big ships Mm. uh, that were kind of being controlled there. And yeah, I think that the Empire would really struggle. <laughs> I think, generally, a lot of what I'm going to say is that the Imperium would wipe the floor with, them, <laughs> with the Empire. But there's going to, obviously, there has to be a lot of talk about how exactly. Yeah. I mean, if the Empire had a fully operational Death Star, which sometimes they have a fully operational <laughs> yeah. battle station, then they could just be taking out one of these massive ships like one at a time. And um, that would probably turn the tide of battle quite a I lot. I don't think it would, actually. Yeah, but it just depends. Yeah, but that would just be in that one skirmish. Mm. But then they'd just be getting battered in other parts of the galaxy where the Death Star isn't. I think, I mean, obviously the the we can't, you know, be too detrimental about the, the Imperial Navy because they have won great battles. They've uh, dealt with uh, rebels at times. They've... Done, gone through quite a lot. However, uh, the Imperium are in a constant state of warfare against, you know, really terrifying creatures like the Tyranids, the uh, forces of Corn, the, the Chaos. The, they've got the Necrons to deal with. There are so many more nasty things that the uh, Imperium are constantly fighting against mm-hmm. and part of that means that they've got to have powerful fleets. Now, for example, let's take the Imperium and say, right, there's 20 chapters of Space Marines. Each one of those uh, chapters has their own fleets. That's separate to the rest of the Imperial Navy. Um, I think ships alone... Internal politics. Yeah. <laughs> ships alone, I think the um, Im- the, the ships of the Imperium would outgun the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, they have greater resources. I'd say the only thing that the Imperial, that the Imperial Navy of um, Star Wars would have over them is their hyperspeed. Now, for those unfamiliar, away. those unfamiliar with the Warhammer 40k universe, they use a different method of travel to the uh, faster than light hyperspeed. Use the Star Trek one. Well, they use a really terrifying version of the Star Trek one. Yeah, they have warp drive, but it's not warp drive like they have in Star Trek. For them, they are not using the warp drive; they are traveling through the warp. Now, once you go into the warp, it's full of monsters. Isn't it's it? full of horrifying monsters. <laughs> you know, the forces of chaos are there, and unless they've got a, a good psyker uh, to help navigate the ship then the chances are they've got like a, a, a real strong chance that they're not going to come out of the um, warp alive. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they don't know how long they're going to be in the warp. So they might think, right, we can go from this planet to this planet, but they could arrive, because it doesn't obey the normal laws of time, they could arrive like a thousand years in the future. They don't know. 
mm-hmm. but you do know that you know every time you go into the warp, you stand a, a more than likely chance of being destroyed. But this is the thing about the Imperium. They know that that's incredibly dangerous. They know that their ships might not turn up. They know they might get destroyed. So they just send enough ships that it doesn't matter if half of them are destroyed. Right. It doesn't matter if only a third of them make it through to the other side. That's the kind of manpower and resources that the Imperium has. It's quite nihilism as well. It, it is, but one of the, the things about the um, Imperium is that every soldier in there knows that they're going to die at some mm. point because they're not like paid soldiers like in you know you know many of the Empire. They are conscripted and they know they they're going to live and die in uniform. Yeah. So, and, but also they they well, believe no that they've tea got this party in the empire, yeah. is it really? But they also they are not afraid of their god emperor in the way that stormtroopers would be afraid of Vader or the em- Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, they just rotting. no, they just believe that he's this all powerful creature that's watching over them. Mm. So they've got this like belief in this divine power that uh, helps them with morale. But yeah, so it's a very different way of traveling for the two ships. However, that means that, really, a good navigator on an Imperial Star Destroyer can find his way 99% of the time, probably, if not more. So, from that point of view, you have to give that aspect of the space battle to um, the Star Wars forces. However... They know when they're going to get there. Yeah. (laughs) But other than that, I think every part of that space battle is going to go the way of the Imperium. And if they manage to get space marines onto the Imperial Star Destroyer... It's game over. Yeah, well, we'll just talk about the uh, infantry in a minute. Mm. But, um, yeah, the, th- the one I was thinking about was the Retribution-class battleship. Mm. And that one just looks terrifying. And this chart that I've got here, I mean, it stops at five kilometres. It looks like it's a little bit longer than that, actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then one down from that, you've got the Dictator-class cruiser and then the Dauntless-class light cruiser. And... But this Retribution one, I think that would just be laying waste to the Star Destroyers. Um, I think it's bigger and it's got more firepower. But like I was saying, like one shot from the Death Star would kind of take out one of them at least. But they need to wait for it to recharge and then like fire on another one. So, but the trouble is, like if the Imperium were to bring out a whole fleet into there, they could have like 70 of these things. It's not just that though. I think the, the Imperium have... Uh, ships as powerful as the Star Destroyer mm-hmm. uh, and they have more than one that are fully operational for a much longer period than it takes a farm boy to kill you mean the Star kill. Destroyer? no I mean the Death Star they have like they, they've got their own like fleet and the ships look so cool they're very gothic looking aren't they um, they look yeah they look evil they do have uh, massive ships that are bigger than anything that uh, the, the Empire would have they have Ships. I mean, you think about, for example, the uh, Emperor Palpatine built a, a, a space station specifically to be able to destroy a planet. Yes. The Imperium can do that with a single ship. Mm. So you look at that from that point of view. You think, well, actually, these guys, have, these guys don't need to build a specific planet killer. Most of their ships are planet killers if they have yeah, to. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so I do think that even with the, even if they had a fully functioning Death Star. I don't think it would make any difference to the tide of battle. It's like um, in the old Star Trek when Kirk suddenly started talking about General Order 24, which is to like destroy the whole surface of a planet. <laughs> it's okay then, so the Constitution class can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you realise it's 
it's for all intents and purposes, like all starships are pretty much overpowered, mm. and I mean, just generally having enough energy to be able to go at superluminal speeds, you're going to be able to destroy most things. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with you about the um, the ships from the Imperium are definitely going to be able to destroy the Imperial ships, and um, I think the Empire would have to pull some pretty amazing feats of hyperspace <laughs> to be able to even come close to that. I mean, and the Empire gets destroyed mm. by e- Ewoks sometimes, so... Well, this, this kind of takes help. me on to uh, the point about the infantry. You yeah, let's about, talk about infantry now. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about how the fact that stormtroopers can get killed by basically little cuddly teddy bears. Yeah, right? because before I was thinking about how they can never shoot the heroes. Yeah. That's a classic thing of stormtroopers. But then maybe in Rogue One it became a little bit more like to the fore the mm. fact that even if you're not a Jedi the Force can be with you and like yeah. the Rebels do talk about the Force being with them all the time and there is a certain aspect of that helping you just be a little bit more lucky when you're in a battle but that what excuse is there for the Ewoks yeah. they all have the Force with them <laughs> I mean I think obviously there's going to be a narrative element to the fact that the fact that you know They've got to write it so that the heroes will win. Mm. So you've got to look at that from the Stormtrooper side. But then there's no heroes, really, unless you're Commissar Kane, on either side of, in this battle. Yeah. Uh, so let's looking at just the skill on skill, We what we have seen is them getting defeated by Ewoks. Yes. Um, on the other hand... That was very the, demoralising to us. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, the, the Warhammer forces have to deal with things like Tyranids, yeah. which are massive, gigantic bug-like creatures that attack in swarms and just tear everything to pieces. They can tear through armour and all sorts. They are not furry, they are scaly and they, they are terrifying. They don't look like teddy bears at all then? They look like the kind of teddy bear you'd give a child if you really hated that <laughs> child and wanted the child to have nightmares. Like your Cthulhu things? Worse than that. Do you think they would if they met a princess they would braid her hair for her randomly? I think they just probably put acid in her face tear it apart and then oh, eat what's left yeah they do, do sound use biomass like... to make more of themselves yeah i think i'd rather face the ewoks than oh, yeah i'd rather okay. face the ewoks in a battle but the tyranids are terrifying not only that they've got the orcs now the orcs aren't orcs like we see in um lord of the rings they're these big green massively really incredibly strong things that Actually, walk around a, yeah. with incredibly powerful weapons and they... just want to attack and fight all the time they remind me of those I can't remember what they're called, but those pig guys that work in Jabba the Hutt's palace. Yeah, yeah, actually, they look kind of like that. But imagine them, but like that, but, but bigger, but with ships. Yeah, <laughs> and teleportation abilities. Oh, you know, so they will come and attack things. Then you've got uh, races like the Tau and the Eldar. The forces of the Imperium are used to dealing with stuff as, on a daily basis that would terrify probably any regiment in. On, that's, you know, in the 501st, for example. Yeah. As much as I love the 501st, because um, I love both of these franchises, but I'm just looking at it subjectively. One has to deal with something from nightmares on a daily basis. And the other one... Teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, by the point we encounter the Empire in the original trilogy, you know, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, most of the em- Empire is just a policing force, aren't they? They're just policing different sectors... Oppressing um, people, not catching Han Solo, <laughs> occasionally boarding Han Solo. Yeah, you know, so not finding the droids they're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
Gary's having a bad day. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Gary the Stormtrooper. Gary the Stormtrooper. So, you know, that's what they're used to dealing with. They're not as a particularly that affected. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we've seen so much detriment from like the original clone troopers mm-hmm. to the to the uh, later forces that you see because they've they've just not kept things up. Um, but let's just say that I think the Imperial Guard, which, which is the normal human type soldiers, I think they could take the stormtroopers, right? Well, just look at them. <laughs> but then <laughs> they've, they've got massive armor compared. Well, no, to you're this thinking one. of the space marines. I'm thinking of like the normal sort of guy, the humans that go, go army guys who go around with the las guns and stuff. Yeah, they themselves could fight the stormtroopers. But as you say, the, uh, some space marines, mm. some space marines get in there. Stormtroopers have got nothing to stop them. Yeah, and even if there was a Sith there, if if the Sith met something like a, a librarian from a space marine chapter, they would just. Unless they were really high powered, tear them apart. I mean, I was kind of thinking about that because I was thinking basically about a Sith versus the librarian, mm. and I thought maybe the Sith would have an advantage because of the Force, because mm. it's not just about the fighting skill, is yeah. it? The, a lot of it to do with the Force, and you don't really see that, but um, yeah, it has a, a big effect on what you can actually do. Whereas the librarian, they can use the warp, can't they, or mm. something like that? So I think it would be. I don't think the force would give you that much of an advantage, really. I think you think you've got to think as well. Is if you're looking at this from an empire versus empire scale, how many Sith are they? Two. <laughs> to that was a really many... bad policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to how many uh, space marines there are. Mm. So I, you know, as soon as you put some space marines on the planet, the planet's going to fall. And I, you know, if the empire tried to launch an attack on a um, Imperium world. You got to think that most of the imper- worlds of the Galactic Empire have like small, again, like police force type red detachments, don't they? Whereas every world in the Imperium has its own army. Mm. They're ready, its own ships in its fleet usually. So yeah, things are looking good for the Empire. You know, it seems like they're war- walking all over them. So then let's think about Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, okay, I know. <laughs> Just lightning shooting out. Because I think you've got to think about Emperor versus Emperor. Because Emperor Palpatine is obviously very powerful, is a living weapon. Mm-hmm. But compared to the God Emperor of Mankind. But he's, always, he's dead. Well, the God Emperor of Mankind can warp reality. Yeah, he's kind of got he, this big mind thing that's not really attached to his body. It's essentially something. him that's stopping the Chaos Gods mm. from breaking through into the Imperium constantly. I mean, Are it does happen those guys who play on Chaos on the, in the Old World? Yep. And they're well, scared not guys. those guys specifically, because that Chaos in the Old World is Warhammer, like Warhammer Fantasy, not Warhammer 40k. Um, but essentially, it's the same sort of, sort of things. Please. Guys um, of similar scariness. Yes, <laughs> like Slanesh. You know, Corn is the terrifying one, obviously. But the, and you don't want a chaos infestation. No. You know, and I th- organized. That would go through um, probably a galactic world in no time at all. Mm. I really don't think they've got anything that could stop that apart from uh, an army of powerful Sith. Um, which they don't have which they don't have but they can send in the space marines and they can cleanse that world so again just showing the difference in power but compared to the powers of Emperor Palpatine the god emperor of mankind is so much more powerful he wouldn't even probably notice I mean he's got armies of psychers sanctioned psychers in the Imperium that work for him 
mm. uh, that have different powers, different abilities, can do different things. Um, some of them are assassins, some of them are navigators, some of them are all, all sorts of different things. But they are dis- they are there primarily to help fight the forces of chaos. Yes. Um, and the em- God Emperor gets like thousands of them basically fed to him to keep him alive. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I didn't quite get it at the time. Like he's being kept alive at the expense of like thousands of people being sacrificed. So. Yeah. So they're basically being fed to him to keep him alive. So you he's know. more evil than the Emperor, basically. Yeah, he's much more evil than the Emperor. Mm. But he's also wields power on infinitely more powerful scale. Evil pays off. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're that's the message we're trying to get along here. Yeah, I mean I have to admit, I think it's it, these are two franchises that I absolutely love. And in many ways I you know, I love Star Wars more than I love the Imperium more than I love 40k, but I can't deny that every on almost every level that I think of, I can't see uh, the Galactic Empire surviving. Well, at luckily, all. they are well. Even though we have just smashed them together, just in our yep. imaginations, just now, one of them is forty thousand years in the future in the Milky Way, and one of them was a long, long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. So. They're separated by both time and space. Yes. So our empire is safe, <laughs> I think, from the Imperium. But, but as yeah. I say, you've got to think about, about this. I mean, and I'd also like to bring out the point. I was thinking about this last night. Every Star Wars film that Luke Skywalker's been in, he's had to be saved at the end. Yeah. Hasn't he? Well, he, yeah, he got saved by Han in the first one, didn't he? He got saved by saved by Leia and Lando and everybody that no everybody that was driving the Millennium Falcon at yep. the end when he was hanging off the bottom of that thing, and then in the third one he got saved by Darth Vader, and then in the f- in Episode Seven I suppose he uh, well that um, Ray went and gave him his lightsaber at least. <laughs> <laughs> I like things she's reaching out she's saving him on emotion on an emotional level. Well, he was just and, about to jump off that. <laughs> and I mean to be fair, it wasn't all in his power, but in Revenge of the Sith. He was saved by um, Obi Wan oh. by taking him away. So I forgot about him. He was a helpless a baby. <laughs> he was a helpless baby. Yeah. But consistently, every film that Luke Skywalker's been in, he's had to be saved at the end. That said, I am a huge fan of Mark Hamill and a huge fan of Luke Skywalker. Well, what was and the point there? I don't know. Just a random thought that I was. These oh, okay. are the kind of random things I was thinking about. But I, I just think that's I'd a good aspect of it, though, because it's like teamwork, isn't it? Mm. It's like you can't say that he's just the hero. That's been saving them all, like defeating the Empire on his mm. own, did it with his friends, and that, that's nicer. Uh, so I think we're, we're we're both pretty clear on the end of this one. The Galactic Empire versus the Imperium of Man. It looks like the Imperium stomps this, doesn't it? Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. I wish it had been closer, actually, so there'd be a bit more of a discussion about it. But... Well, funny enough, when we were thinking about the Star Wars. Uh, Star Destroyer versus the Enterprise it was really difficult to know how to call it because it was so close mm. this everything I looked at pretty much the only th- the one advantage that I thought that the Empire had was that they'd be able to run away better in their ships yeah <laughs> that is literally it every other thing that I look at the more I think about it whether it's the equipment for the ground troops um, I mean we've not talked about like the big vehicles like the walkers and the attacks but then everything that they have the Imperium has something bigger and badder when yeah. you look at it. And there's just nothing I can see here. Yeah, that's I was going wondering about the Atats, but then I remembered some of the things that Mutt's got in this cabinet for the uh, Imperium. 
they are pretty bad vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every however we break this down, it looks like the Imperium stumps. Luke Skywalker needs to be saved at the end of every film. But and... he's the enemy of the Empire, so who cares? Yeah, and I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars too. I don't know much about Warhammer apart from all the research that I've been doing for this and just just generally over the last few years I've kind of absorbed a lot of information about it. I mean, From we, 40, 40k games that we've played. And... Yeah and sometimes to plan these podcasts we'll go to Warhammer World for a drink <laughs> and, that, and that's always very enlightening but yeah I like the idea of the uh, of the Imperium but I I really didn't like the uh, the fact that they would stomp all over the Empire, but I just have to go with the facts, really. Yeah, because you're more of a Star Wars fan. But I would say, if I had to choose one of these two universes to live in, I would choose the Galactic Empire. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Definitely. Even... <laughs> who, wants, who wants to live in, in the Warhammer 40k universe? You'd have well, to be psychopathic. Even if you're under the Empire, like Jin said, if you're under the Empire flag, it doesn't matter if you don't look up. Yeah. So... There we go. Imperium of Man stumps. Everybody be scared. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. So now on Tone Talk, Richard is going to be talking to us by the novel Gateway by Frederick Pohl. Yes, I'm going to talk about this, and the other day Matt did ask me how dystopian is my novel for this week. Because, because quite frankly, I was worried about you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're, if we base, if we judge a character based on their reading habits, mm. we could we could worry that you were, you know, not happy. And you know, I was getting I could concerned emails. Depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't judge a person by their book covers. That's <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I said at the time it's not. Um, but then I remembered <laughs> that um, Earth in this book is in a pretty bad shape. Um, but. It is set on an asteroid called Gateway. Now, when I first started reading this, uh, I read the introduction first. It's the um, the sci-fi masterworks version, so it's got both an introduction and an afterward. That just explains a bit. Is it the the author himself, Frederick Paul, who writes that introduction? Uh, no, this introduction is by Graham Slight. Okay. And um, yeah, it just it talks a little bit about like the context in which the book was written. Um, this is from the 70s, this particular one, and it just mentions the fact that in most sci-fi, one of the main problems they have to overcome is faster than light travel. Mm. There needs to be some way of it either happening or kind of getting around it. Like in uh, in The Expanse, they just don't do faster than light travel, they just stay in the solar mm. system. But if you're going to have something that's set across the galaxy, then there's got to be some way of getting around it. And this is quite a novel way of it happening which is that humanity had found an asteroid that had over a thousand spaceships on it which could all fa- travel faster than light and they don't actually know how they haven't been able to reverse engineer these things <laughs> but they all have kind of pre-programmed courses set mm. in and basically people in this book who go to gateway are being prospectors Mm-mm. So they have the chance to pilot one of these ships, like use one of the the pre-programmed codes that are in it, and just see if they get anywhere that, like, they try and find artefacts or interesting things that they can bring back, and they just hope that they will come back, because some people haven't. (laughs) Like, some of these ships have just set off and then just not returned. And you really get a sense of the 
basically the gamble they're taking with their lives in doing this. <laughs> um, and yet they're doing it basically because they need the money. They can get a massive payoff if they do. It's interesting because as soon as you said to me that, you know, they get around the issue of faster than light travel by finding all these ships on an asteroid field and they don't know how they work. At first I thought, is that is this just a cheap way of dealing with that issue and mm. that's just a little part of the story and really it's about something else but it's actually kind of interesting the idea when you turn that around that they find these ships mm. and the whole story is about them uh, going who knows where yeah, to it. explore I mean that that's a much more interesting story to me yeah that's it so and a lot of it is set on Gateway the actual mm. asteroid itself because there's quite a lot of the characters kind of putting off signing up for the next trip because they don't know if it's going to be their last and it is really a lot of it is about psychology as well mm. um the way people will have these kind of defense mechanisms and things and kind of try and deny that they're scared <laughs> and one of the things that i found quite interesting about this is every other chapter of it is the main character talking to his psychiatrist <laughs> <laughs> And um, that, that really brings so it, psychology. It's actually before. kind of after, set after the events, and he's relating the events. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah for the most part. Yeah. Um, you kind of get an idea of where the story is going to go because mm. the main character he's actually called Robinette. It's a man. He's called Robinette Broadhead, and it starts with him talking to his psychiatrist about the fact that he has a woman's name. <laughs> and, uh, and it, well, and, yeah, I mean, Robin's, Robin can be either male or female. Yeah, but Robinette. Yeah. Robinette is definitely a woman's name. <laughs> yeah, everybody just calls him Bob, and it's, uh, and it's got this, um, this android. To um, marry you, Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, it reminds me of that. Um, Sorry, that was yeah. a, For anyone that doesn't know, that's a reference to uh, season two of Blackadder. Well, Blackadder 2, yeah. Mm. yeah so, um, Siegfried, Siegfried von Schwink is the the name that he's given his android um, psychiatrist. He's not called that's, that. Uh, that's yeah. a pretty heavy name, isn't it? It is, yeah. You definitely know what his job is if you've got that name. Yeah, But, um, yeah, it's got him asking him, why do you care if some people think it's a girl's name, Bob? <laughs> and he's like, I don't. It's like, then why do you keep bringing it up? And um, you can really tell that Bob really gets annoyed at mm. this android throughout the book and well i think i'd just be annoyed by the fact that it's a robotic shrink called seafried von shrink well like i say it's not called that bob calls it that yeah it's, it hasn't got a name so it's um not, not quite so bad but yeah the fact that bob is having these psych- psychiatric sessions um it's because he's been able to pay pay for what they call full medical mm. so Basically, he's paid so much insurance he can get all the medical treatment he wants, which will basically mean he can live indefinitely, like through gene therapy stuff like that. So Sounds you, pretty you, sweet. Yeah, so you kind of know that at some point he struck it big. Yeah. Um, on Gateway, but also it messed him up quite a lot. Like whatever happened to him, um, and he has a lot of guilt that he's kind of running away from, mm. and most of it is the this robot trying to bring it out for him, and. But he's such a great character, um, Bob. Uh, well, I say great. He's amusing. Mm. And Paul's writing is very witty. Um, there's a lot of adverts in the book, which for the most part are funny. Like you'll kind of be flicking a... You'll be reading a chapter and then suddenly there's a whole page that's just like the classifieds. Mm. And it can be some for some pretty weird things, like people looking for a girlfriend back on Earth and asking if anybody's got any daughters there. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> You know, you kind of get the impression that uh, people there are a little bit eccentric. 
Um, and later on in the book, you get to, um, instead of adverts, there'll be entire pages which are conversations between a teacher and the students mm-hmm. on like astronomy. And does and that tie into things. the main story, or is that well, just slightly classified? Is that something just It seems extra? kind of extra. It's like a little bit like the fluff that goes around with it. But, um, but then later on in the story, uh, Robinette, he mentions that he tried loads of different ways to kind of take his mind off what he was going through. And he and the fact that his name was Robinette. Yeah, yeah, that's the least of his problems <laughs> by the end of this. But yeah, he, um, and he ends up signing up for these classes. And you kind of realise that th- these pages that you've been looking at throughout mm-hmm. the book are um, actually him at the classes. And y- you can sometimes tell that he's disrupting the class as well because <laughs> the teacher's getting a bit annoyed. Um, so yeah, it's you end up being very immersed in this, mm. and even though the space travel itself is quite limited because most of the people are understandably quite scared to actually get in the ships and go, um, you do feel very much like it's a kind of a coherent sci-fi world mm. that you're in, um, particularly in uh, in the solar system. Um, when they are actually on the ships, there's just something you realise how difficult it is even when they're actually travelling because the ships are quite small and they have to keep all the alien equipment on mm. there. They call the aliens that they that built the ships the Heechee. They don't know much about them at all. And they um, there's a lot of Heechee equipment on the mm. ships with them and they've tried removing them before and sometimes the ship has just exploded. So they've decided just to leave everything where it is. But that means that all their supplies like the humans need mm. have to fit around all this stuff so you can only take so many rations and things like that that reminds me a bit of because I've been watching Stargate recently yeah and uh, there's loads of scenes with like gold ships or Tok'ra ships mm. uh, even Asgard that you have all the Asgard stuff and then you've got piles and piles of supplies that they've had to bring along in massive cases and trunks and yeah, stuff just sort yeah, stuff of like that. You dotted realize... around in random places yeah you realise how much they need yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so if you were to go on a especially a trip that you don't know how long it's going to take and that that is the bit that i found mm. quite scary sometimes people are back like within a few days mm. and it turns out they've only gone to like barnard's world mm. or um barnard star i mean or um like off century something like that yeah. sometimes it could have been across the galaxy and there's been times when people you can kind of tell when you're at the halfway point of your trip when you're on the ships because there's a slight gravity pull when mm. you're on it and when you reach the halfway point there's a thing on the ship that glows and then gravity shifts slightly yeah. the other way and when there's there was a, a chapter where they're actually heading out and it, for the first couple of weeks they're kind of getting on okay and then when it gets to like the third week they're all starting to get a bit ratty with each other because everybody's just worried like is how this, long is this going to yeah, be? Yeah, and is it going to be something we can survive? Because once, if it gets to the like the ninetieth day, something mm. like that, if you haven't changed your gravity at that point, then you know none is of you are going to survive. Because of the uh, the amount of supplies they can carry on the ship. That's is it. That yeah, the, the amount of supplies. Yeah, because you know, if it gets to ninety days, then it's um, you, it's going to be that long again at least yeah. before you stop, and then you have to make the return trip as well. So and essentially, once you hit that mark, if you've passed a quarter of your supplies, yeah, then you've you've got a problem. That's you need it, yeah. to start rationing. And okay. even in the weeks before that, 
Like that's the point where even rationing won't help. Mm. But before that, you're thinking about you're going to have to be like drawing lots, stuff yeah. like that. Um, and who's so, going to get eaten? <laughs> well, basically, who's going to volunt- voluntarily stop eating? <laughs> who's going to take a little walk in space? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that could be some time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I find things like that very interesting because you kind of really feel like you're in their shoes mm. and you realise um, just kind of how scary it is because for a while I was a bit annoyed that they weren't going out on these trips like they kept putting it off but then once they get to it you kind of realise how scary mm. it actually is and yeah I think it as a novel idea I think this is um, very interesting just the fact that they've found all these ships and uh, the way they're using them the way the corporation is actually um, sending people out mm. and then back and um, yeah, giving them commissions on what they found so yeah I would recommend Gateway um, if you haven't read any Frederick Pohl um, I think I think you'd like his books if um, if you like Pratchett and stuff yeah. like that um, it's got it's, quite a bit of humour in it then isn't yeah it? there is yeah. a very um, witty way of writing um, I'm definitely looking forward to reading some more by Pohl I think particularly Space Merchants I've heard of that before and, yeah. So when was this book released, Richard? <laughs> this book was written in 1976, released in 1977, it seems. Ah, so 40 years. Yeah, 40 exactly years. 40 exactly 40 years. Yeah, and that uh, we knew that straight away. Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, this week, um, my book recommendation, and I am actually recommending it this time, is by Frederick Pohl, and it's Gateway. Richard approves. Tell us what you think in the comment section below. And joining us today, a very special guest. So joining us on the show today, we have a very special guest, Martina Edoff from Sweden. So hello, Martina. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So Martina, you've got your album coming out on the 22nd of September. Uh, that's We Will Align. Now, that's your third album, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I'm so looking forward to it. So uh, I've been working on this album for a year now, so it's going to be so good to finally release it. Yes. I've been listening to it quite a lot over the last few weeks, and I must say I've really, really enjoyed listening to this album. There's a few songs in there in particular that I absolutely loved. I mean, Turn Our Pages is so powerful, isn't it? Then there are others like Brand New World, which has got quite a bit almost a folksy tone to it hasn't it yeah it's a quite of a mix but i try to make them you know like uh, kind of a similar style all through the album and i hope i i managed to do that because i wanted to have this powerful feeling when you listen to it and i wanted to i want to reach out and touch the inner of, of the listeners so i want the audience to feel what i feel when i'm singing so Hopefully, I will reach out in that kind of feeling that I have myself, yes. It really does carry over that sort of depth of feeling in those songs. That's good. Listening to some of the songs from uh, Unity before as well, and Unity has, a lot of the songs on there have quite deep meanings, don't they? So, for example, Unity itself is about uh, wealth coming from inside of ourselves rather than material possessions. Can you tell us something about the, the meaning of the songs on We Will Align? Since I have almost the same feeling when I write my lyrics, it's kind of, <laughs> it depends on the listener. What they feel is the most important thing. What is uh, the most obvious thing that they are feeling at the moment. And if it matches what I'm saying 
to their to their lives but from my point of view it's it's like it's very important for us at this point in time that we realize what we have what we are that we come together and make something beautiful from it so um, well and, and sometimes the song can mean something else to someone else it could be mean that oh i'm in a relationship and i don't feel very good or i am at a place i don't like to be at the moment and i want to to do something else and i want to you know find something that makes me feel better and uh, you know it's it's always up to the listener to decide what the message is i think yeah are there any of the songs on we will align that you would that you feel are of particular importance or personal importance to you the we will align um hmm, i'm going through the lyrics in my head right now it's so many lyrics at the same time so i just have to <laughs> sort them out yeah, it's a good thing to just have this, um, I wanted to share this feeling that, you know, sometimes people can feel alone by themselves. Uh, sometimes it could be uh, like a message like if we are feeling like we want to have a change for the better, we are so many people who feel the same way. And if we uh, just realize that you know, if we align, we can make things better together. I think that sort of feeling comes through, particularly on songs like Brand New World, doesn't it? Yeah, and the Brand New World is all, also some kind of... Uh, but I wanted to point uh, of uh, in a Brand New World that um, the strongest force ever is actually, uh, like I sing in this song, in the Brand New World, is love. And I don't speak about the love between you know the loved ones i mean the whole you know it's kind of deep this but <laughs> you know love is universal and if you know the force of love you can move mountains so it's like of a and you feel and i wanted to show it too in the kind of style of the music it's kind of a symphonic feeling over it over it so uh, as i like that kind of music too very much yeah, symphonic music. I wanted to share this feeling of, um, you know, grand, big, universal, worldwide, you know, feeling of uh, in a bigger scale. So everything this is just emotions, you know, music is, is emotions. And that's my part of it. I want to share what I feel and I what I want to say. And I do it through music because my instrument is my voice. So I'm trying to just um, share what I'm feeling. Other people have other ways to show what they are want to share with others. So, so I speak through the music and the lyrics and my voice. Can you tell us anything about the creative process that went into making the album? Well, usually it starts with that I have uh, melodies in my head and I write my lyrics down to the melodies and then I start to ask people if they want to co-write with me and when I come with a song that is already have a melody and lyrics, we I let them do the music. Sometimes some musicians send me some music and I listen to the music and I feel what kind of melodies it's, it's going to be and I put the lyrics on. And sometimes some other people I sit just, we just sit down and we start to play on the, he plays on the guitar or something and I just sing along and I go home and I put some lyrics down. 
and sometimes you just come up with the same ideas that maybe someone has an idea for a chorus and I put on the rest of it. So it's quite, it's like in that way it used to go. So I start with, uh, with, the, with the music, with the songs, and then we keep on going to do the pre-recordings and then we set the musicians and we go into the studio and you know, so forth. And you had some very talented co-writers working with you on this album as well, didn't you? Um, yes. Billy Sheehan from I'm Mr. So Big, for example. <laughs> That is so exciting, you know. I have been listening to Mr. Big for so many years. I have admired them for so many years. And I had the opportunity last year to go on a tour on their, they had a worldwide tour and we had the chance to go with them for a shorter period of time when they had the European tour. And um, so we ha were there as an opening act for the Windry Dogs. And Billy Sheehan is in the Winery Dogs, and uh, I always want to give space to the to the other artists. So I'm not just, you know, <laughs> throwing myself out there yeah. and, and say hi. So I just keep myself, you know, not bothering them at all. Mm -hmm. But he was the one who came up actually and was very, very, you know, down to earth, humble, nice, just s such a nice person. Mm -hmm. So afterwards, last of, in December, I think it was in December, I wrote him uh, an email and I said, I don't think that you remember me, but we were on the same tour. And uh, I was just curious to, if I could ask you, if, what do you think about doing some co-writing? And I didn't expect him at all to get back to me, but he did. And uh, he said, of course, if you come here, we can write together. So I flew over to um, to LA and we started to, to write some songs together. And that was just, you know, a dream come true <laughs> since I have been listening to, to these guys for years. And, uh, you know, everything went so smoothly, so nice. And, uh, you know, so this one was the one I kept from that session. And I think it went, it, you know, it turned out to be really good. That's incredible. You know, it's it really is shows a, a quality of writing uh, on the album, the way that things are arranged, the way it's recorded, the way that the vocals pair with the album. It really does does show that a lot of effort went into that writing process, and that there was a lot of experience brought to the table in that writing process. And that's obviously that's not all uh, Billy Sheehan, because you've been in the music industry for some time now, haven't you? I have been in the, in the industry for my whole adult life, and uh, since I'm not 20 anymore, I've been in the business for 30 years. So um, I have, I'm I'm happy that I have my experience actually, because I feel a lot more comfortable today than I did when I was younger so of course I hope it, it shows in my work that I have done this for quite a while. I'd like to talk to you about your voice actually because you've got a very unique voice haven't you? I was trying to explain uh, to somebody a few days ago what your voice sounds like it was it was very difficult to to sort of categorize because you've got like the power of someone like Ty Taronan or Shania Twain, but also you have a very bluesy element to your voice. Someone like uh, artists like Jesse Galante, but you bring this entire uniqueness to it that's all Martina. And it, listening to your previous albums, it does seem like your your voice has grown more powerful on this album. Yes, I think it's depending more 
of what kind of songs that I'm singing. My first album, I took, I had the chance to do an album. You know, I was just told that a friend of mine told me, do you want to do an album? Of course I want to. Uh, I want to do it immediately. And I took all my old songs that I had just to put together the first album. And then uh, these songs that I have on my first album is a little bit more, uh, a little softer maybe you can call them. Another, it's still rock music or maybe it's a little bit more pop rock or even a slash of country in it. So when I decided that I wanted to go exactly the way I wanted to, like I do on the previous one or on this one, it's more into what I want to do today. Mm. And uh, maybe it sounds a little bit stronger now because the music is a little bit a little bit heavier. It definitely does feel like it's a heavier album. It's, it has got some very yeah. folksy songs, quite not necessarily metal, but not as heavy. Uh, the first couple of songs on the album are quite heavy, but then you've got others like Face the Mirror, which seems like it it's a rock song, but it seems like it's built to showcase uh, your voice. Your entire vocal range seems to come through on Face the Mirror. You know, I have always had a group that I, when I was growing up, I had one person that I was listening to very, very much. And I told myself when I was a teenager that if I could reach her range and her capacity of singing, I would be, you know, that would be my goal. I don't know if I have done that yet, but that was my, you know, main goal when I was a teenager. And the person I'm talking about is Anne Willison of Heart. So, so I said, uh, if if I'm gonna do a, um, a softer song like a, a ballad like this, I wanted to do something that sounded a little bit like Heart. So that was my main thought when I wrote Face the Mirror. Uh, funnily enough, when I was listening to that, it did put me in mind of Anne Wilson. So I think you can say you've <laughs> achieved your goal there. <laughs> oh, thank you. One of the things I wanted to ask you actually was, you know, who was your main musical influence and, you know, where do you feel that most strongly comes through on uh, on We Will Align? But it sounds like you've just answered that question for me. Yeah, I've had others as well, but I think that Anne Wilson was my biggest role model when I was a teenager. But since I have always listened to singers and uh, who has extraordinary voices, I can name a few others. Freddie Mercury, David Coverdale, even, you know, Celine Dion and all these kind of voices that have this amazingly range. Other as well who has this feeling in, in the way that they are singing. I really admire people who can play around with their, vo- with their voices. When I was listening to the album uh, last last week, and uh, my wife was here with me, and she listened listened, and she thought you sounded at times like Cher. <laughs> yeah, I know, I've heard that so many times. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, as well as being a, a singer, you're also a life coach, aren't you? Yes, I am. Does that feed do you, Does that feed in any way into your into your new album? I think it's a it's a part of me. I have always been that kind of person who people like to 
reach out to in moments of their life when they need someone to talk to. I had been that kind of person my whole life. I decided to um, to take this uh, education and become a life coach. Since I got this education, I got it on paper, but I have had this kind of skill. It goes within everything you do. And even if I write some lyrics for my music, I think it shows a little bit inside there as well because it's kind of a part of me. I like to share things with people that I think is important. And if I get a chance to um, get somebody to feel better, I feel a lot better to myself if I can just give something to somebody else who will gain from it, you know. That's the kind of feeling that I get from being a life coach and um, sometimes writing lyrics. So I, I think it sometimes goes hand in hand in a way. I was going to say, do you think, because life coaching is is also about helping people to reach their goals, isn't it? Do you think yeah. music can give people that same sort of empowerment? Yeah, sometimes, you know, people are are getting, are seeking comfort when they are listening to, to music. If somebody is feeling sad or down or anything and they just put on some music and just start to listen, sometimes you can feel something or hear something in there that speaks to you Mm. because you needed to hear that at that moment. And sometimes it can help somebody feeling better. And I actually was... Uh, receiving a letter uh, from from a girl who was very very sad this is many years ago and she had listened to a song that I had put out long before these albums and she said actually you helped me through my kind of um, disaster that I went through in my life because I recognized the words so much that I, it, I, I took it into my heart and I really listened to it so thank you and just those words made everything, every effort and everything. I had that like, you know, if she had something out of it, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that drives you as well, isn't it, with your, your future um, albums and songs to really put that feeling and effort into, into the work you're doing. It must be a real highlight to get something like that in the post. Yeah, you know, that's the main goal for me. I love music. I love singing. I love writing. And if it reaches out to somebody who who likes it too and and you know gets something out of it you know that's the completion that's what i that's why i did it so changing tack a little bit because you've toured quite a bit haven't you you've played with uh recent years with people like taya uh epica um we mentioned billy sheehan already what would you say is the biggest highlight you've got from from touring from touring gosh i have been touring since i was you know early 20s but then I was a backup singer um, from my own albums touring um, to meet the, the audience mm. to hang around with the musicians to just being on tour and to um, experience the the new places every day the new audiences the new people the meetups afterwards when you go off stage and just you know t- to go through the the tour with the with the people around you even if it's hard if something happens if it's you know 
problems along the way, you forget it because afterwards you just remember all the good memories. So it's quite a journey to go on tour. Do you have a favorite song to play live? Yes, uh, I have had that and I'm looking forward to new songs now. Uh, I like to see when people are getting involved in a way that I see that people like what, what we do. Hmm. So when I have raised up the energy in the audience and people are going nuts, crazy, because they like what they hear, that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. And uh, as I've said many times before, when more people know about the music that we're doing and people are more, you know, know of what they're going to see, and they have been listening to the songs and they may, might know some songs before in beforehand so they can sing along that's you know that's wonderful to see because if people sing along with you while you're on stage performing that's kind of a connection that is you know indescribable that is wonderful to see people it, we're giving and receiving at the same time and that is so cool I've always thought it must be a huge rush to uh, write write a song, write some lyrics, and then have a crowd of people singing those lyrics back to you when you're on the stage. Yeah. Yeah, it must give so much energy to that, that performance. It is. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful because then it shows that people really like what you do. And um, it's like an energy wave, you know? If you put something out and the receiver turns it back in a positive way that is just beyond words it's wonderful at what point in your life martin because you said mentioned that you've you've been a, a singer your entire adult life at what point in life did you know you wanted to be a singer since childhood i wanted to become a singer when i was a child and i have <laughs> uh i don't know what you call it in english but we have this you hold into a little handle with a with a, a string between and you jump up and down what do you call this oh, as a child i had this um, like skipping rope like you're swinging it around yourself and you're jumping on it yeah we, we call that a uh, skipping rope yeah and the handle one of the handles i used as a microphone <laughs> <laughs> so i knew from an early stage that i wanted to be become a singer so did you did you take your little skipping rope and do little shows for your family or yeah for everybody and I took everyone that came home to me and and I said let's play ABBA (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine that must have been uh, a lot of fun yeah (laughs) it was all about the music every time but uh, yeah, so it's it's nice that that's something that you've been able to uh, reach because I think a lot of people when they're young they think oh I'd love to be a musician or I'd love to be a singer, um, but you know life doesn't always work out that way. So what would you say to any young people listening who have that same goal, that same dream to be a singer or or another t- type of musician? Just stick to it. If you have this urge and this uh, determination that you absolutely know what you want to to do in your life just stick with that feeling and be 
determine the whole way even if somebody tells you along the way no it's not good for you you should be doing this or that just go with that inner feeling that says that i know what i want to do and i'm going to do it that's incredible now i didn't actually get to see this because i was unwell at the time but you played my hometown uh last year in nottingham oh yeah what did you think of my hometown wonderful wonderful really i would love to come back uh we were there for a few days and i really really liked that place yes so it was for the rockingham festival wasn't it you on this day is that right yeah it was rockingham wonderful audience wonderful place everything was so good arranged and i would love to come back yes that's great we'd love to have you back and hopefully i can get to see you that time (laughs) yeah so is there any chance of us seeing you in the uk soon Yes, uh, we're working on the tour. I think it's almost set and done, and we're going to go to the UK in October, so it's quite soon. Okay, so where can we get the details of that? Will that be coming out through your website, through Facebook? Yeah, Facebook first of all. First, not the private one, the other one that only says my name on it. There is all the information, and I think it should be up soon, or if it hasn't already been, the dates. On the UK tour, yeah. So, what songs are you from We Will Align? Do you think that you're really looking forward to bringing with you on the tour? I'm going to play the new songs. I don't know if we're doing the whole album, but hopefully, we'll see. We haven't started to to plan that yet. But uh, a lot of songs from the new album, of course. And I really like to sing, and I really like the song turn on pages so that's that's one song that i'm really looking forward to to perform that's the, that's good because that's the one i really want to see live as well <laughs> yeah that's great well thank you so much martina for talking to us today uh, thank you so much before you go is there anything you'd like to say to your fans here in the uk yes um i really want you to if you think if if you have been thinking about you maybe i should go and you you know not sure I want you to go, really, because I want to see you, I want to sing for you, I want to sing with you, and I want to, to make an extraordinary night together in uh, with some music. Because, you know, sometimes when people ask you, are you going to go and watch that artist uh, performing over there? And, then, and they say, mm, maybe, I don't know. But if you go, I promise... We'll do our best to make this night special for you. So I really want people to go out and see people who comes to, to touring. That the, the, the audience comes there. It's much much more fun. And bring the energy. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Marty. And we can't wait to see you on tour. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you for joining us for episode 14 <laughs> of Medicine Meeples, and that was a dark episode. That was a dark episode, but we're okay. We came out on the other side. Um, we want to say a big thank you to Martina Edoff and her management for um, making this interview happen with us. Also, if you'd like to check that out specifically, you can also get that as an audio download from our website or from iTunes, or you can see that on YouTube. But please take a look at our website, medicinemeeples.com, and from there you can see links to our various social media sites um, and all of our podcasts 
on Apple Podcasts as it is now known and not iTunes. Okay, great. So, what we're going to read? So next time, come back. We're one of the main. Well, not the main thing, but one of the things that we're going to. One of the things we've actually decided on, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything else is uncertain, but we're going to be talking about bears versus babies. That, that's not dark. We, yeah. <laughs> we, trying to get it lighter by increments, but we yeah. can't go all at once. So yeah. it's going to be bear versus babies, and I, just, I think this is a really cool box. That so we just cool. need to have this here. Yeah. yeah. We'll just in case you, what you're wondering what all that fur was down here on, on the camera you know yeah it didn't kill anything <laughs> yeah. well it's, I don't know haven't opened the box yet Could it's, it's not real fur we'll say we'll say that it's not real fur as far as, um, as far as we know but I wasn't there when it was made so who knows I mean it, it looks more lifelike than Donald Trump's hair it looks like a triple it's political <laughs> I know it's not really political but it does look yeah it does it's we were, triple colour <laughs> Could be the room could be full of these by next week. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's something inside to stop that happening. <laughs> so join us next time. Where one of the things we'll be talking about is bears versus babies. Uh, we don't know what else will be the subject, but it is possible that you might see the emperor after he's been bitch slapped by the god emperor of mankind back for a battle with Magneto. Oh wow! Yes, that is another option for our. Uh... Tiny Meeple's big talk, isn't it? That's because one of... we did need to. Yeah, we've got so many big questions to talk about, yeah. haven't we? We've got several that we're planning to bring to you over the next few weeks, and that's probably the next one. So please check us, check out our websites, and come back and say hi. Hi. And goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Farewell, Questa, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyscar and the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.